So today we're going to talk about trust and being trustworthy. Um, so why does it matter? Why does being trustworthy matter? Uh, we know that trust doesn't just happen. It can be very fragile once it's earned. We know mo- we must earn trust and work to keep it. It becomes more valuable than anything else in our lives. We want to work with people we trust. We want to have friends who are trustworthy. We want our family to be trusted. And we want a God who we can trust. It kind of permeates every part of where we're at. We often say where we work, where we live, where we play, everywhere we go. We want people that we can trust. Um, as we were saying earlier, we want to be able to rest in God's promises and our confidence to be in God's faithfulness. We also saying, my hope will always be in what? In your promises to me. Why? Because God being trustworthy is the bedrock of everything in our faith. This idea of being trustworthy is not only important, but easily able to be recognized in our culture. So there are some commonly understood people in our culture who are known as not being trustworthy. Now, before you have any images in your mind, I'm going to put up an image you're not going to think about. This is from the 1940s. Okay, we'll put up the character. Okay, okay. So this toy became famous as a boy who was a cultural icon because of his frequent tendency to lie, right? which causes his nose to grow. In fact, it's been so prevalent in our culture, Pinocchio, that recently Geico um, has a bunch of commercials that I love. One is he's on his first date, and he tells her that he had a professional headshot of his photo. He lost some weight, and he's doing a juice cleanse. Another one that he does is he's avoiding a ticket for parking. If you've seen this one, he talks about, tells a police officer that he didn't know that it was a no-parking zone, that no parking sign wasn't there earlier when he parked. And in Italy, you can park anywhere you want. And the one that this one is from is he's actually a motivational speaker. And he's walking around to people in the audience and saying, you have potential. And as he's doing that, his nose continues to grow. Those of you who have seen this or appreciate those who haven't, you can watch it on YouTube. But the idea here behind Pinocchio, when we laugh at these commercials, what I want you to think about is that we too have our own challenges. Right? We, too, have our own challenges. In fact, kind of if, if we think about ourselves, there's many times if we looked in the mirror, we would see our own nose kind of going out. Um, and we'd have to look at some of the common lies we tell. And that's kind of what we look at. So we don't even know we look that way. Right? So let me just kind of walk through a couple of lies we tell. Well, I know, and, and please, no elbowing your neighbor or your spouse or your friend here, okay? These are just things. I'm almost there, right? Also known as I'm five minutes away just around the corner, right around the block. It must have gone in my spam folder or my junk folder. My phone died. My phone's been acting weird. I'm having trouble hearing you. It wasn't that expensive. (laughs) And I'm almost finished. I'm almost done. So these are things that are just prevalent in our culture and prevalent in the way we interact with people, right? But today what we want to look at is God's view of being trustworthy and with our word, as seen through this teaching of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. We're continuing our series on the Sermon on the Mount called Kingdom Living. And we're wrapping up a section of this teaching where Jesus is explaining with different examples of what it means by unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom. He's basically saying, look, I want you to take yourselves beyond the letter of the law and look at the spirit that God intended. And that's how I want you to live. And today we're looking at the last of those in this subsection, and it's really focused on verbal integrity, our verbal integrity. 
Now, Phyllis started this subsection out talking to us with anger, where Jesus taught that God's anger versus our anger, and our anger is often expressed when people don't meet our expectations. Then Brian walked us through one related to adultery, where he encouraged us that Jesus calls us to a serious standard with a serious strategy of sexual purity. And then Brian continued most recently and walked us through one related to divorce. We encouraged us that with Jesus' help, staying married for life is possible. He challenged us to focus on allowing God to transform ourselves, not necessarily make our, our partner be a project, right? And really have the transformation come that way in our marriages. Now, this whole series in general has been about transformation. And that's what we want to continue with today. Now, today, I want to walk us through the one where we see how God transforms the way we communicate. We will see how, with Jesus' help, kind of as Pastor Brian and Phyllis were saying, with Jesus' help, we, how we can be transformed into someone who others really trust. We can be trustworthy. Okay? So, in each of these, Jesus started them with a phrase, you've heard it said, where he's contrasted the teaching of the people of the time, the religious leaders, with really what God intended, this whole idea of what they literally wanted us to think about, and then what people started doing to kind of narrowly interpret things to get back to God's broader interpretation, his intentions. What has God wanted to do in our hearts, and what did God see in our lives? And this set we're looking at is actually tied back to the Ten Commandments, the ones that we've looked at over the past couple weeks. You shall not murder, that tied back to anger. You shall not commit adultery. That kind of talked back to that whole idea of lust. Same thing with you shall not covet your neighbor's wife. And the two today are tied to you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, and you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. Those are two of the other commandments. We're not going to look at those specifically, but the idea here is, is that it's really using our words in the way that God designed them, to be trustworthy about him and to be trustworthy about other people. So we're going to look at these verses together today and understand them, and then see how they apply to our lives. So let's, if you want to turn to Matthew chapter 3, sorry, Matthew chapter 5, verses 33 to 37. Again, you have heard it said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill the Lord, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is by, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. Now Jesus starts out this section with a common practice of the day regarding oaths, where people would say, again, you've heard to say that people long ago don't break your oath, but fulfill it to the Lord. Now, Jesus was explaining to them the idea of the vows that they made, and especially how serious it is. Like, I swear to God, right? I'm going to do this. Now, we grew up, many of us grew up with this expression, right? Cross my heart. Say it with me. What? Right, why did we say that? <laughs> Where did we learn that from? Like, but the idea of that was is that there was a seriousness, right, to what we were saying. Like, oh, my goodness, like, I really mean this. Right? I, now, obviously, you know, ironically, it comes from a poem that continues, right? It says, does anybody know the rest? Uh, I'll say it. Wait for, a, wait for a, wait a moment. I spoke a lie. I never really wanted to die. But if I may and if I might, my harpet is open for tonight. Though my lips are sealed and made a promise is true, I won't break my word, my word to you. 
So you can look that up in here. But the idea of it was just, it's very serious. Like, this whole idea of making oaths, Jesus is saying, look, you've heard it said that making an oath is serious, okay? And he's saying, look, if you're going to make an oath, don't break an oath. If you're going to make a promise, don't break a promise. That's really what's going on here. And that's to understand the, the importance of keeping our word. And he continues here in the verses 34 and 35, and he says, not to swear an oath either by heaven, for it's God's throne, or by the earth, for it's his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it's the city of the great king. Now, what does that have to do with us? Like, we don't, we don't do any of that stuff, right? We don't say by heaven or by earth or by his footstool or by Jerusalem, all these things. Well, ironically, in this day, there was common practices that according to where you spoke and how you spoke something, it meant how binding it was, okay? So, for example, some people taught that if you made an oath in the name of the city of Jerusalem, it was not as binding as if you made it facing the city of Jerusalem. So again, you know, part of this is like, well, we don't have those practices, but we do have something that kind of came to mind, right? When you, when you believe that somebody tells you something, you're not so sure that what they told you is really going to true, right? And they claim it. Really, what do we do? We, we sometimes, we write an email saying, hey, I think this is what we talked about. We make a little email thread. We sometimes write up agreements between each other, particularly if you're doing some business together. We can even sign a contract with terms and conditions, Right? So we have all these things in our culture, and the reason why they're there is because, really, from Jesus' day until today, we continue to split hairs and try to find ways to kind of angle for our own intentions and not be bound to things. And, and really, in our, even in our everyday interactions, you know, sometimes um, we, we make what I call a pie crust type of promise. That's one that's easy to make and easy to break, Right? And or somebody makes that kind of promise to us, we kind of doubt them. And we say, hey, can you, you know, can, is that really going to be true? And some of the phrases that we use, like we have what's called pinky promise. Anybody ever pinky promise before with somebody, right? Pinky promise, or they say, I swear. We say, I swear on my life. Some people even say, I swear on my mother's life. Or I swear on my mother's what? Grave, right? Like, this is pervasive in our language, like, this is here today. Like, we, now some of us, you know, we get more contemporary versions of the same thing. The teenagers are probably saying, we don't say that anymore, but we say other things, pinky pear, whatever it is. But this concept of needing to have assurance of what you said was true to me, I need it, right? I need it because I doubt, I wonder, I'm not so sure, right? That's really what's going on here. And the reality is it shows us that we're not inherently good and that the world we live in, it's not inherently good either. Now Jesus continues here in verse 36, and he says, And do not swear by your head, for you cannot even make one hair white or black. Now swearing by one's head was another common oath used in that time, both by Jews and Gentiles. And it was the same idea as, as swearing on your life, or that I'm willing to like, die rather than be wrong. So Jesus explained here that we are not to swear by our lives. Why? Because our lives are not our own. God is the one who authored our life. He's the one who gave us this life, and we have no control over it. Now, we do have hair coloring today. Many of you are thinking that, right? Like, we can go from either way. You can go from black to white or white to black or pick your color du jour. But the reality is, is that the root hasn't changed. That's why we have to keep applying it. So what Jesus is saying here, you can't change the, the root color of your hair. You don't have control over your life. There's one person who does, and that's Jesus Christ, and that's our God. Now, it's a little bit ironic to me that Jesus refers to kind of hair color here and, and the whole idea of black and white. 
right? I get the sense that he's maybe foreshadowing what he's going to go in the next verse where he talks about our word, and he's going to talk about yes and no, but the reality is yes and no are just as kind of binary as black and white, right? There's no shades of gray with yes and no, and that's what he's saying. And let's go to that next verse, this last verse in this section. Jesus says, all you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. Now, Jesus explained that simply just saying yes or no was what he wants us to do, and not just basically do once, but really make it as a pattern. The, the, the language here is kind of a simple present. We're expected to go on day over day over day. You know, it's kind of like, okay, now I'm, I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm going to do this instead. So instead of needing an oath or swearing on something to assure that it's true, Jesus is seeking for our verbal integrity to be so strong that making a swearing or anything like that is completely unnecessary. Our guarantee and our witness should be lie in who we are as a person and our character. That's his intention here, is that our character would be sufficient to answer somebody. Clement of Alexandria, one of the early fathers, insisted that Christians must lead a life and demonstrate such character that no one would ever dream of asking them to swear an oath. So Jesus is teaching that God designed us to be people of our word as he's a person of his word. That's where we started, right? We want a trustworthy God, and our God is trustworthy. And because he's trustworthy, that's how come we can be trustworthy as well. Jesus also says that he wants us to mean, say what we mean and mean what we say. In the same word that God's word is so absolutely true, ours is meant to be the same. Now, when you hear these things, I don't know about you guys, but I start to get discouraged. I'm like, oh my goodness, I have, I'm so far from this sometimes. Like, my word is all over the place. And I can feel like maybe, I don't know what, what, what to feel. But I was encouraged by this verse in 2 Timothy, um, if you just want to skip ahead to that. It says, if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot disown himself. 2 Timothy 2.13 God does not love us because of our faithfulness to him. He doesn't love us because we're trustworthy. God loves us because he chooses to do so regardless of our performance. It's what he did for us, not what we do for him. Too often people think that they've said too many things, done too many things, thought too many things even, that God could ever forgive them of those things. And if there was a movie made of their life, God would turn away and couldn't even watch to the end. God's forgiveness is not limited, nor has a line that we cross once you've gone too far. In fact, the only cross that's around is the cross that Jesus died on, which he sent his son to die for us in our place so we could have a restored relationship with him. That relationship is the one that has been broken by these things that we've thought, said, and done, but is able to be repaired through the things that Jesus did. Although we were displeasing to God, we didn't lose his love, but we're able to have a restored relationship with him. Maybe you're here today and you never experienced that restored relationship. Our hope and our prayer is that today would be that day for you, that day of salvation. So don't lose hope. Um, now, there are those of us who have received that salvation, who have been restored, okay? And w- like for us, where do we start? What do we do with this teaching of Jesus? How do we apply it to our lives? And I would just say we do it kind of by looking back, okay? Looking inside and looking ahead. And I just kind of want to walk us through those. When we look back, we ask God to show us ways in which we've been intentionally and maybe even unintentionally lacking some verbal integrity in the way we communicate. As we sang earlier, the Holy Spirit is what? He's our living hope. 
He is God present in our hearts, and as we sang, where my heart becomes free and my shame becomes undone. The Holy Spirit is the one who will make us aware of the words that we've said that weren't quite right. The guilt maybe that we feel from being not trustworthy at times is from him. And he is the one who convicts us of that sin inside our hearts. So let's just take a moment and ask the Holy Spirit to show us maybe some things that we've been saying that really aren't honoring to God and maybe aren't quite forthright in the communication we've had with other people. One prayer that God always answers is to show me my sin. Let's just take a moment to do that. Some of you may need some help in this. So let me give you some help from my own life, okay? I noticed that, if you notice here on the picture here, there's a thing called a rock on one side and a hard place on the other, and there's a thing in the middle called wiggle room. So I notice the times where I struggle in this area that, that I choose to purposely be a little vague with my responses, okay? I choose to give myself a little wiggle room when I'm in a hard circumstance. Maybe some of you do or don't do that. We're not going to raise any hands here. But I can say, for some of you, I do notice this one. Okay, this is a picture of somebody, what I refer to as, you take a long pause before answering a question so you can figure some way out of this mess you've gotten yourself into. There's some of us who maybe navigate for wiggle room. Maybe some of you are pausers out there. I've noticed that a few of you are pausers. And these are just cues, right? That we all know when somebody's doing this, like, they're not quite being, it's the time we're going to ask them to swear. Are you sure that's the case? When we look inside which is where we go next. What is this? That's really what this whole sermon series is about, is look inside our hearts. That's what we've been challenged to do, to see the motivations behind our actions and the way we've been judging ourselves. And this is another prayer that God always answers too. Show me my heart. But to be fair, I think many of us struggle to understand our hearts. Like, why did I do that? Or what was I thinking? Or, but even then, God gives us the Holy Spirit to reveal to us not only our previous sins, but also the motivations inside them. What were we thinking? What were we doing? But it's a challenge for us. We struggle at times to understand what we do and why we do it. So let me give you an interesting example. And don't go back. Yeah. So how many of you have ever heard your voice on a voicemail or on somewhere like, do you think you sound like that? No, you can go, yeah. Why do we hear our own voices differently? Okay, so I'm going to explain it. So... We hear our own voices through what is known as bone conduction. That is, our voice is transmitted through the bone in our jaw. But everyone else, in any recording of our voice, hears our voice transmitted through the air. When we listen to recording of our voice, it's through the vibrating of waves hitting our eardrums the same way it hits other people's. However, I think what happens is we normally hear our own voice. It's through the vibrations inside the skull. And we can't really understand it the same way somebody else does. And ironically, that's why when we hear a recording of our voice, it usually sounds what? Higher. Because there's this actually bass that gets applied inside our head through our bones. So isn't it weird that God designed us that we can't even hear our own voice right? So if I can't even hear my own voice right, how in the world am I supposed to sort out my own heart? Okay? But that's why God gave us the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one who hears our hearts and plays back the voices in our heart to us so we can hear them as it's heard by others. They can notice the Holy Spirit will bring to our attention the reason why we're pausing, the reason why we're looking wiggle room. And let me give you an example from my own life, right? So there is times where 
I might use what's considered an exaggerated expression, right? But we're very familiar with what? So this is the fish story, right? That's part of our culture, right? Why is this there? Because I caught a fish this big. Well, why is it? I realize that my motivation is I want you to think I caught a fish this big. Why? Because I want you to like me more, right? I want you to think more of me. I want you to think that I'm a better fisherman than I really am. I'm not content with my acceptance as a child of God, and I'm seeking more of that acceptance for you guys. For some of you, right, maybe what you say instead of how big the fish was, maybe you can say things like, I'll get that to you tomorrow. Even though you know full well there's no way you're going to be able to get it done. Why do you do that? Because you're afraid that if you give people a realistic timeline, that may think less of your competency or, or of your abilities, right? These are things that we do. But let's look ahead. Let's get some encouragement, right? Another prayer that God always answers is, help me. The Holy Spirit is the one inside us again that makes God's word personal to us and teaches us what to do with our verbal integrity. So let's ask God to help us. But what do we want exactly ask us to help us with? That's why I think Jesus' last words in this section are really powerful. As Jesus taught us to do, really what he wants us to do is simplify our conversation and have simplicity in it. Taught us to let's use more yes and more no and less ambiguous words when we communicate. Let me give you an example from my own life. I noticed there's some words I knowingly use that can have what some people consider a double meaning, right? So that way when you come back to me and ask you, I'm like, I didn't really mean that, right? It gives me an out so that I can say to you that's kind of not what I was thinking when I said X, Y, or Z, right? Maybe none of you do that, right? Um, But God's been challenging me to be more simple with my communication and more intentionally clear to work on that so I'm well understood. Now, for some of you, I've noticed... You start with this phrase, to tell the truth. How many of you just noticed that we won't raise hands, okay? You either say, to tell the truth or truthfully. And I hear it all the time. And why are we saying that? We say it to indicate that we're telling somebody something in kind of this open, honest way without trying to hide anything. So what does that say about all the rest of the stuff we were telling them before, right? If I say, well, I have to tell you the truth. I'm like, well, what were you saying to me all along? But there's this sense where we're admitting or confessing something when we say that, as if, like, to tell you the truth, I was frightened to death because I was scared to tell you that. But now I'm a little more open. Or other times we're giving someone more of an unfiltered opinion, like, to tell you the truth, he really gets on my nerves, right? So instead here, Jesus encourages us again to just say simply yes or no. Why? Why is he doing that? Why is it more just green or red or yes or no? Why does Jesus want that? He's well aware that it's supposed to be only the only possible, there's only one possible way to interpret yes, right? Yes does not mean no. And there's only one way to really interpret no. No was never meant to be interpreted as yes, and no is, yes is never meant to be interpreted yes. There's no consent inferred with no. Generally speaking, when we say yes, it means yes, and when we say no, it means no. Complete honesty should be our typical kingdom living. When we talk about kingdom living in this series, what does it look like to communicate with another? It's about complete honesty. So that we need not have to give each other, or anybody else for that matter, a guarantee regarding the trustworthiness of the things that we say. Uh, just, I'm going to go on a, off on a tangent here just for it. It doesn't give us, like, you know, if you ask me, you know, how do I look in this dress, and I, and I look, look heavy, it doesn't mean that you have to be totally honest with me. That's what I'm talking about, okay? I mean, there's sensitivity. I'm not saying we, we, we become unfiltered and lack sensitivity, 
but we, we don't lack authenticity, okay? We need to have authenticity in our communication. So what is Jesus encouraging us to do? He wants us to be trustworthy. So no one will have to debate what we meant or interpret what we, what we said. They will know what we meant because it came from us. There's a great story about this guy. You may recognize him up in the tree, right? Zacchaeus, right? He's a great story for us to think about. In the same way we kind of thought about Pinocchio, right, as a person who kind of extended his nose with the lies he told. What's great about Zacchaeus, I want to read his story just because it encourages us in this area. It says, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief calculator and he was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, and because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead, climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mother, he's gone to the guest of a sinner. We could translate that and say, he's gone to the guest of a liar. He's gone to the guest of somebody who's not trustworthy. Right? Who's been cheated. But he has stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody, lied to anybody, not been trustworthy to anybody, out of anything, I will pay them back four times that amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come in this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham, for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Now, Jesus, Zacchaeus is a story of someone who, when he encountered Jesus, he realized he had not been trustworthy. He knew what he needed to do with those whom, with whom he had lied and cheated. And he was now had the power to be a trustworthy person going forward. Do you think he slipped up going forward? Yes, he did. He still fell back into some old patterns on occasion. But he had, a, he had been transformed in his heart that this was no longer the pattern in which he was going to communicate. May we be like Zacchaeus and be people who make things right and can be trusted going forward from today. In the same way we talked about how in our culture there's a commonly understood people who are not so trustworthy— we took a boy named Pinocchio. I'd like you to think about, okay, when we talk about honesty, who are the honest people that are kind of known in our culture today? Not, not today, but just in general. If I say honesty, what names come to mind? So hold on. Go ahead. Yep, go ahead. There he is. Abe Lincoln, right? He's known as Honest Abe. I would like to tell you how he got the name Honest Abe. He was first called Honest Abe when he was working at a young store, uh, as a young store clerk in New Salem, Illinois. According to the story, whenever he realized he had shortchanged the customer by a few pennies, he would close the entire shop and deliver the correct change regardless of how far he had to go to walk to that person's house. And he became notorious for his honesty. Another example came during his Senate race against the powerful incumbent Stephen Douglas who said, I shall have my hands full with this Lincoln fellow. He's a strong man and his party full of wit, facts, and dates against the best stump speaker with his droll ways and dry jokes in the West. This is the part. He is, an honest, uh, he is as honest as he is shrewd, and if I beat him, my victory will be hardly won. As you know, he lost. Two years later, however, he found himself running against that same man for presidency. When Douglas was told of Lincoln's victory in the presidential race, he had this remark to say, you have nominated a very able and a very honest man. By the time Lincoln was president, statements he had made previously, such as, I've never tried to conceal my opinion, never tried to deceive anyone in reference to them, I'm glad to have all the support I can get anywhere, 
I can get it without practicing any deception to obtain it. I become a source of strength for him as a leader. Everyone, even his bitterest political opponents, knew exactly where they stood with Lincoln because he didn't have to waste time convincing his opponents of his sincerity. He was able to devote his energies to solving issues and even winning a war. Let us this week, I thought it would be helpful, this week, how are we going to remember some of the things we talked about here today? Most of us, now many of us are credit card based or e-commerce based, but still many of us are still using cash. You notice on two pieces of our cash, whether it be a coin or a bill, Lincoln is there. And I also wanted to highlight what's above Lincoln's head. It's about a trustworthy God. That's what our message is about today, wanting us to be trustworthy people. And this is just as you go through your week this week and you're using a $5 bill or a penny, be reminded of the things that we talked about here today. So for us, right, how do we become honest Steve or honest Phyllis or honest Brian, just like honest Abe? In the end, it's really about God changing not just our language and our expressions with each other, but it's really about changing our hearts. We have to ask God to change our hearts. Matthew 15, 8 says, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. So it doesn't matter if we change the way we communicate and, but without any transformation happening in our hearts. Our hearts are designed to be close to God. They're designed to be connected to him. As we draw closer to him day by day, we're learning to trust him more and more. As we become more people who trust him more and more and trust his word more and more, we then become more trustworthy ourselves. So that's really what I want us to do, is just to be able to pray about that and think about that right now. So please join me in prayer. Jesus, we thank you for teaching us about language and how it affects our relationship with you and with each other. Show us clearly where we're struggling in these areas of our verbal integrity. Show us our motives behind these things that we say with regularity that are not building up trust but breaking it down. Help us to simplify our communication and be people more like you that is just trustworthy all the time. Thank you that we can trust you all the time for everything in our lives. God, your promises still stand in our lives. Great is your faithfulness. We're still in your hands. That's our confidence. You've never failed us yet. Amen.